This morning's gospel reading and the words that will serve as our sermon text today, Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When Jesus went into the temple courts, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the crowd, since they all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, then I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. This is the gospel of our Lord. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. My dear family in Christ, the Jewish religious leaders back in Jesus' day were at it again. They were watching him like a hawk. His every move, his every word, his every action They desperately wanted to find something that they could hold against Jesus, something that they could accuse him of to discredit him and his ministry because people were following him. Well, now this Jesus from Nazareth was on their turf. It was a Tuesday, just a couple of days after Palm Sunday, just about three days before he would lay down his life on the cross on Good Friday, This Tuesday, Jesus was in the temple courts there in Jerusalem. The day before, you might remember, Jesus had driven the money changers out of the temple, overturning their tables. And now these Jewish religious leaders come storming up to Jesus and ask him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? They're basically asking Jesus, look, who in all the world do you think you are? Jesus skillfully turned their questions around on them by asking them by whose authority John the Baptist had conducted his ministry. 
and they were trapped. If they said it was from God, then they would implicate their own unbelief. If they said it was from men, then they would have the crowds riled up against them. So you know what Jesus did next? He loved them. They hated him. But he loved them with a perfect love. Jesus wasn't interested in playing a game of gotcha with them. Jesus was interested in having them turn away from their stubborn unbelief to repent and to put their their trust in him and be saved. And so to that end, Jesus told them a parable. We often refer to this parable as the parable of the two sons. But I think it's really best understood if we think about it as a story of, of three sons. Let's take a closer look at this parable this morning. Let's apply it to our own hearts and lives, and let's give thanks today for the third son. Jesus tells this story about a man who went to his two sons and asked them to go and work in his vineyard. It was an urgent call. Notice that he says to them, son, go work today in my vineyard. He says that to the one son, That son doesn't listen to him. But notice it is an urgent call. He says, son, go work today in my vineyard. There's an urgency to the gospel, friend. Procrastination will never cut it in the kingdom of God. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Jesus says night is coming when no one can work. But this first son was rude and short with his dad. Son, go work today in my vineyard is the call. And his son says, I will not. He doesn't even bother to give some kind of a lame excuse for his refusal. But later on, he has a change of heart. He regrets the way that he talked to his father, and he goes out and and works. But the other son, he responds to his father's call by saying, I will go, sir. But he didn't go, and he didn't work. And he didn't keep his word. He was all talk. He was no action. Henry Ford once said, you can't build a good reputation on what you intend to do sometime. Good intentions often end up being nothing more than a bunch of empty words and broken promises. So these two sons, one who flat out refuses but changes his mind, the other who who says, I will go, but never does. And Jesus asked the Jewish religious leaders to apply this parable to themselves by asking them to consider this point. He says, amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Can you imagine how appalled they must have been by that statement Jesus makes? Can you be serious, Jesus? Cheating tax collectors who are stealing money from people that can barely afford to live and people who sell their bodies for immoral acts are heading into God's kingdom before the pious religious leaders and teachers of the day? Are you serious, Jesus? Yes, he was serious. And Jesus loved them with with a serious love. He wanted them to change their heart. He wanted them to change their mind like that first son did. You know, the Bible's way of presenting us with this concept is repentance. 
The word for repent in the original Greek is metanoeo. It's really a, a compound word. It means to change your mind. That's what we do when we repent. We change our mind. First of all, we change your mind about your sin. You, you no longer find yourself liking that sin or trying to sneak it in or embracing that sin. You now find yourself detesting that sin. And so you confess that sin and you turn away from it. You change your mind about sin. The Holy Spirit leads the believer to hate that sin and to turn away from it. But it also means to change your mind about the way to be saved. Instead of vainly thinking, well, now I'm going to have to do something to make up for this sin, or thinking to ourselves that we could contribute even one tiny little thing to our salvation, repentance means forsaking yourself and trusting in Christ for forgiveness full and free. Now, that's why Jesus, we're told in Mark chapter 1, was calling out to people saying this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. In fact, even before Jesus started preaching and teaching, God had sent John the Baptist, as Jesus explains in our text. John, you'll remember, was a preacher of repentance. He was sent to prepare the way for the Christ. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. John would call people to repentance and show them the way of righteousness, the way to God. And many of the people who spent their time cheating others and walking the streets heard John and heeded his words and repented and rejoiced when John pointed them to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But on the other hand, many of the people who spent all their time in church going over all of God's laws with a fine-tooth comb, preaching and, and teaching the people, didn't have any time for this man from Nazareth. They didn't want to hear John telling them that he would be the way to God. They were all experts, after all, or so they assumed. And then along came Jesus. And Jesus called tax collectors to faith, made one of them Matthew, one of his 12 disciples. He called on those who had lived immoral lives to leave their lives of sin and to find in him forgiveness and salvation. And like that first son, those people changed their mind about their life of sin and turned away from it. And they went and started following Jesus and, and started working for their heavenly Father, giving him their joyful obedience. And the religious leaders were appalled. They couldn't believe what was happening. This guy who claims to be the Son of God embraces people who don't at all deserve God and then has the nerve to tell us that we are the ones that have it all wrong. What was wrong with their thinking? It's that they couldn't accept this concept of righteousness, holiness, a right standing with God that comes to us, not because of the things that we do, but because of the things that Christ has done for us. A gift from God that comes to us unasked, unforced, undeserved, and unearned. They refused to accept that this carpenter's son from Nazareth could possibly be the long-promised Messiah sent from heaven. And as a result, these religious leaders were a lot like that second son, weren't they? They looked right on the outside, made a great show of their faith. 
They said all the right things. They talked a good game. They said their prayers. They offered their sacrifices. They, they interpreted God's laws, but their hearts would not go to God for needed grace and mercy. And in spite of all the religion that they put on display, they were outside the kingdom of God. So how about it? Which of the two sons are you? Well, the truth of the matter is that there's a little bit of both of those sons in all of us. Like the stubborn refusal of that first son who said, I will not. Can't we all look at ourselves and find plenty of evidence in our own lives when we have responded that way to God's call to obedient faith? No, Lord, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to put you first in my life right now. I've got other pressing concerns. No, Lord, I am not going to fight against this temptation. I'm caught up in this right now, and you're just going to have to understand this. I have my reasons for doing it, and I don't want you putting a claim on this area of my life. Now leave me alone. No, Lord, I don't want to treat others with kindness and compassion and respect. After all, I've been kicked and, and, and walked all over in this life. No, Lord, I am not going to deny myself and take up my cross daily and follow you. You don't know what it's like out there, Lord. No, Lord, I don't want to get rid of that sinful habit. Maybe someday, sometime, someday, but not now, Lord. Look, look, back off, Heavenly Father. You should be happy that I'm willing to give you an hour a week. How about the times we've acted like the second son? I will, sir. We have good intentions to pay more attention to our spiritual life. To pray more to do more in service to the Lord, to be more faithful in our worship life, to be more faithful in our study of God's holy word. I will, God. I'll be a more godly spouse or parent or child. I'm going to start sharing my faith with others, Lord. I'm going to get my spiritual act together. But then all of life's busyness and distractions tend to get in the way and our good intentions become just a bunch of talk and broken promises. Won't you praise God with me together that there's a third son? He's the son of God who left heaven in order to become the son of man to enter into this world. He's God's beloved and eternal son, our savior, and his name is Jesus. Friends, Jesus not only tells this story this morning, Jesus is this story. He's the one who came into this world to carry out his Father's will. He recognized the sense of urgency that souls were perishing. I will go, Father, and he did. He didn't refuse to come here to save us. He knew what it was going to take. He didn't just tell his Father what he figured his Father wanted to hear. He came to save us, and he said, I will. He did. And this Jesus, this blessed Savior from heaven, this third son, is the one who came to fulfill all righteousness. He's the one who got it right every single time in our place as our substitute. And in an act of stunning grace, he takes his perfect record and credits it to your account. This third son is the one who carried out his father's will to save you from an eternity of misery in hell. He carried out that will all the way to the cross for you, suffered and died in your place to be able to bless you by telling you that your sins are all forgiven. 
believers in response to grace and mercy like that, what else would we do but fill up our days and our lives with expressions of thanks and praise and grateful obedience, with responses of faith that show that we know and we believe and we trust and we love this third son, Jesus, our Savior. What better way to do that than to live lives of daily repentance, humbly turning away from sin, trusting Christ for its payment, rejoicing in the good news of forgiveness? And what better way to demonstrate that thankful joy than by living our lives to the glory of the one who saved us, not to try to get into heaven, but to tell him thank you for giving us heaven by getting rid of those sinful habits, by not just talking about, but actually following through on showing mercy and grace and kindness to others, by worshiping and praising the Lord our God with glad and sincere hearts, by sharing the gospel with those who are still outside the kingdom of God, making them aware of the Lord's call. One son said that he never would do his father's will, but eventually did. The other son said that he would do his father's will, but never got around to it. Lord, make us your faithful people. May your Holy Spirit work in these hearts every day. And by that Holy Spirit, lead us to strive to be ever more like that wonderful, that perfect third son, your son, our Savior Jesus. Amen.